If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Um, and if you haven't been coming in a while, we have been going through the book of Matthew, uh, which outlines the life of Jesus in the context of him being the Christ or the Messiah or the King. And the Messiah in the Old Testament most commonly refers to the future king of Israel. The Jews, in the time of Jesus, have been looking, waiting, and longing for God's anointed one to come restore God's blessing to the land. Now, this expectation among the people was principally national and political, yet Matthew's gospel shows that it, his kingdom is primarily personal, spiritual, and supernatural. Um, so for review, uh, chapter one, we saw that it proved that Jesus, through the genealogy, is in the line of David and of the people of Abraham. In chapter two, we saw the contrast between the evil and false king of the Jews um, with the true king, Jesus, who receives kingly gifts and fulfills five prophecies to show that his kingship is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And last week, we saw that God's kingdom is about repentance, purif purification, and spiritual transformation through the ministry of John the Baptist, and shows God the Father and the Holy Spirit approving of Jesus as the king. He will then begin his public ministry, but first has a time of testing and temptation, which we will see below. So if, you have, if you're there, chapter 4, 1 through 11, it reads this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Uh, I think this is a this is a great passage, and it has a ton of value for a couple different reasons. First, it kind of gives us a glimpse into a supernatural world that we do not see in our regular lives. It shows that there is a war going on, um, but it is not a physical war, but a spiritual war between Jesus and his followers and Satan with his followers. We know how this war ends, which is total victory for Jesus and total defeat and punishment of Satan. And we see like in, in the first century world, they probably were much more in tune to this than we are today because of uh, 
modernism and deism and different ideas that we think things happen naturally, but we, I can fail to neglect the spiritual side of things. I also like this because it gives us some clues how to overcome temptation in our own lives. And this is something that every Christian wants. If you believe in Jesus, you want to overcome temptation. And temptation is when internal or external desires lure us to obey our own desires over what God wants. There are times when we have to choose as Christians to listen to what God says or to what our heart says. Um, And I think all Christians want to overcome temptation, whether we are completely defeated by certain patterns of sin in our lives or we have already overcome much. There is always room for us to grow in areas of our lives that have victory over sin and temptation, just like Jesus had victory over sin. Um, there's There's a ton to unpack in this passage, but one of the primary things we need to remember is the mission of Jesus, which is found in chapter one, um, given by one by an angel. It says his mission was to save his people from their sins. And if he cannot save himself from Satan's temptation, he does not qualify as the true Messiah, which Matthew is trying to prove that he is the true Messiah. Um, as, as I researched this passage it's interesting to note that from a lot of ancient texts from the Qumran desert and from the apocryphal writings the audience would have understood that the wilderness and evil spiritual forces go hand in hand and they would have anticipated Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness and like I said before the original readers had a clear understanding of the spiritual forces that are going on today and wilderness is something I've been in the wilderness once. I was in Nepal, and we got lost and got off the trail. And that is a, uh, it's a pretty scary feeling because it is, it is not like a game reserve where there's paths or there are um, trails to follow, but it's, it's a place of desolation. Um, and even when I was, I've been to Israel a couple times and even traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Tiberias, it's a three-hour drive, and there is still tons of just, uh, desert wilderness there's nothing there um, but probably jackals and other wild animals and it's, it's a scary thing uh, we also see in this passage that the word devil is not a personal name name for satan but it means one who slanders or accuses and this is why revelation 12:10 says that the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our god So he is an accuser, and that's kind of what Matthew is trying to draw out here. And what he's trying to do, he's not directly challenging the divine sonship of Jesus, mentioned in the previous chapter when the Father and the the Holy Spirit approved of his ministry, but he's trying to rather misdirect it and render it ineffective. We will see later that Jesus is a teacher with authority, But what Satan wants to do is to have him use it in a self-honoring way rather than a God-honoring way. In fact, the temptations of uh, Satan are basically saying that if you are the son of God, prove it. That's what he's saying here. And we'll see this. In the first temptation, it begins with Jesus being famished. And Satan proposed a very simple solution to this, that the stones... around him become bread, which Jesus 
could certainly do. We've seen many miracles of Jesus, and we'll see miracles throughout the book of Matthew. Um, and I've never done a 40-day fast, but he's he is likely at the point of total depletion and even possible death. However, Jesus begins his first of three quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, if my success against the devil's temptation depends on my memorization of the book of Deuteronomy, I'd be toast. I wouldn't make it. I do not have passages from Deuteronomy memorized like Jesus did. Uh, However, during this time uh, of Jesus' life, it was the most popular book of the law. And Jesus knew his scripture, which we'll talk about more later. So Jesus' retort from the Bible is simple but powerful. He says, there is more to life than bread, right? While where the people of Israel failed in the wilderness by grumbling to God about bread, Jesus succeeds by saying that the words of God have true power for sustenance. And he proves it by quoting that scripture. And this is potent for us today. How often do we, even though we believe in God, we struggle to look past our own desires for food and for comfort. And it's easy to believe the lie that they are life because these things scream at us. When I have not eaten, I am hungry even a little bit. Um, Those desires scream at us and they tell me that this is life. Yet we know that we're very, we're almost no better off after we've had our fill. You know, the law of diminishing returns says that every time you have something, it satisfies you less. And that is the way the world that we live in is made. And I think God made it that way, this law of diminishing returns, so that only Jesus can truly satisfy us. And Jesus himself asked us later in his gospel, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And the answer is obviously yes, there's so much more to life. All the, the good things in life are beyond those things. Um, his second temptation This temptation likely takes place by vision to the temple of Jerusalem. Here, Satan, so to speak, takes Jesus at his word and has his own verses. He uses Psalm 91 to say, he should throw himself down from the temple to prove that God's angels will protect him. Again, this is an easy but illegitimate way to prove his divine status to the people. He could just throw himself down, angels would bear him up, everyone would believe in him. But however, ancient rabbis, what they did by pitting scriptures against one another, Jesus has his own quote, again from Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, not to put God to the test. And this passage refers to the people of Israel's testing of God's faithfulness by providing water at at Massa. So Jesus uses this passage to say that we don't put ourselves in dangerous situations just to try to prove that God is faithful. And this is also very valid for us today as well. How often do we, we run ourselves ragged and then demand that God will save us from the consequences that come as a result. You know, in my own life, I I sometimes skip my lunch because I'm busy or I'm doing something and then I'm, I'm surprised when I break my diet and eat a bunch of junk in the afternoon and I feel terrible afterwards. There's examples of people, you know, people stay up way past the time their family goes to bed and then they ask God to deliver them from looking at pornography and blame him when they fail. 
people spend all their time at work and not get enough sleep, and then they think that God will magically save them from getting angry and lashing out at their family. But I think what, what this passage is speaking to us is saying, you know, we are far more likely to fail temptation when we are hungry or tired or stressed. Therefore, we need to do everything we can to mitigate these things so that we can overcome temptation or not even be tempted in the first place. And this takes a plan. We need to plan ahead for this. If you know that you'll have a late day at work or home, make a plan to get to bed quickly or pack a healthy lunch instead of eating garbage. You know, we need to make time and exercise and contemplate on our feelings and being in the moment to reduce stress when we're having stressful situations in our lives. And of course, I understand that there are times when we will feel exhausted and we can't avoid them. It's just life happens to us. There's just stressful things that we cannot avoid and we need to cry out to God in those times for deliverance. At the same time, I think at least for me and maybe for us as well, there are many other occasions when we do not think ahead and just kind of let life happen to us. And then we test God by asking for deliverance. Um, so as we're, as we're thinking about this and meditating on this verse, take some time and think of the times of your day or your week where you are more likely to be tempted. And if there are things you can do to minimize that, especially when we're tired or hungry or stressed. Um, and make sure to stick to that plan. And I think that is going to be part of the path to victory. Uh, the third temptation is about power. And this is the most spiritually dangerous of all Satan's temptations. Jesus could have, could prove to all, Jesus, sorry, Jesus could have had instant command over all the Gentile and earthly kingdoms by bowing down to Satan and could prove to all his kingship by ruling the world and throwing off the yoke of the Roman Empire, which is what the people wanted desperately. He would have instant fame, instant recognition. He'd be an instant leader. But if he worships the devil, he no longer become, becomes God's beloved son. And just as Daniel refused to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, Jesus refuses to bow before Satan. He tells Satan to go away, which parallels the same language he will use later as he casts out evil spirits during his public ministry. He gives the last passage from Deuteronomy, and Jesus rises victorious of the temptations of the devil and is ready to begin his public ministry. In fact, in Luke, it's in the parallel passage in Luke, it says, you know, he was led into the wilderness by the spirit, but he was led out in the power of the spirit and the point that jesus is making here is that we only serve god nothing else and it is easy like with food to become slaves of money and power imagining that these things can be our salvation you know and, and many people have come to quake for more money you know i heard a story of a person you know she said it very sophisticatedly i've come here to achieve a lot of financial goals I thought that was a really smart way to say, you've come here just to make a ton of money and then leave. And there's nothing wrong, of course, with providing for your family and having a job, but we just need to be careful that, you know, what are we here on earth for? Are we here to increase our own small K kingdom or God's kingdom? Because if we serve 
the, our own kingdom and serve power and serve money, we will bring destruction and damnation on ourselves. However, by being a servant of God, which is not flashy and it's not easy, that's the true way to true power because being connected to Jesus, we that is the way to eternal life. And that is true power because Jesus has all the power. So I think one of the most important tools is we need God's affirmation that we are his child. Of course, we are not God's son in the same way that Jesus or daughter, but everyone, it says in John, that everyone who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Therefore, if you want to overcome temptation in your life, you first need to believe that Jesus is the true Messiah. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place for our sins. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death and enabling his children to have a life of victory over sin. If you want to have any victory, there is no victory outside of the cross of Jesus. So we need to believe this, and not just in our heads, but in our hearts. We need to believe this deep down in this the bottom of our souls, that we are loved and affirmed by God because of what Jesus uh, has done for us. And if you are a Christian, you think, okay, I know this. Um, we also get some of these same ideas in, into our head as the world. You know, we think we get into this uh, mentality of, you know, God is angry if you fail and pleased if you obey. But that is not true. Our acceptance by God is not based on our obedience. Whether we do well or fail, he loves us the same. Elliot and my other son, my kids make all kinds of mistakes. And even though there are consequences, both natural and enforced by me and Stephanie, nothing they do will make us love them less. And I tell, I tell Elliot especially this every day, especially after he received discipline, that I love him no matter what he does. It does not matter if he makes good choices or bad choices, but I love him so much. And nothing will take that away. And this is a picture of how God loves us. It doesn't matter what we've done or even when we continue to fail, God looks, us at, looks at us as his children through the sacrifice of Jesus. And this also, um, this affirmation from God is also from past mistakes that we make. It doesn't matter what kind of sin we've committed in the past. They are completely wiped out by Jesus' sacrifice. We have more than just a blank slate, but we have a tablet filled with the righteousness of Christ. And if you struggle with this, like I do sometimes, sometimes it's worth repeating that I am God's child and he loves me no matter what I've done, am doing, or will do. God is going to lead me to victory over sin and bring me safely into his kingdom. Sometimes I repeat these things to myself because I've been so used to telling myself lies that I can never change, that God has abandoned me. I have to figure it out on my own. We, because the world and our hearts tell us these lies often. So we need to replace this truth with the, the lies, with this truth. And sometimes, you know, you might not believe it instantly. So saying this to ourselves, even when we don't believe it, until it permeates our minds and our hearts. The second application uh, is that Jesus had an overcoming temptation is the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The text said that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, which implies that he was responding to the direction of the Holy Spirit in this passage. 
Ephesians corroborates this. It says that not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the, with the Spirit. So just as drunkenness significantly affects our ability to think and act and communicate, he's drawing a parallel between that and the power of the Spirit, which also affect our thinking and our acting and our communication. So to be filled with the Spirit, what is this? It, it's, a, it's a kind of surrendering. Um, to receive salvation as Christians means we cannot get to heaven on our own. We need Jesus to save us because we are sinners. And being filled with the Spirit is similar. Just as we need the cross to save us from damnation, we need the Holy Spirit even to empower us to obey him. We cannot obey him through our willpower and muscle and reason. And if we do, then it's just pride, and that's even worse. So we need to pray to God and admit that we need the Holy Spirit's power to change. This is like a crisis experience in our lives. We need to really admit this deep down that we cannot change without the Spirit. It's also a progressive experience that you learn to listen to promptings of Spirit over time. Uh, His leading can be quite gentle, and it takes patience and practice and listening. And if we are moving all the time, we are likely to miss His direction. We need to make time to slow down in order to check in with him and make sure that we are following his direction and not our own direction. This needs to be done regularly. We have to make time to listen to the spirit, even if it's only a few minutes or a couple times a day, just to make sure we are following his path and not our own. The final tool that Jesus uses in his personal against the devil is scripture. Each time the devil tempted Jesus, he responded with the word of God. This is certainly something we need. And we know that Jesus could not take huge amounts of scrolls with him into the wilderness. So he relied on his memory for these verses. And with technology today, we have far more access to the Bible than at any time in human history. Yet we often choose not to avail ourselves of this resource. Temptation almost always happens in our minds before it moves to a behavior. So we must have scripture in our mind. Psalm 119 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. However, if all we have in our mind is a John 3.16 and Genesis 1.1, that's not going to help us defeat every temptation that comes our way. Finally, um, we need to know that we are constantly being bombarded with the values of the world. So meditating and memorizing scripture helps us when we are tempted. The world's values say that we can do what we want if we are not hurting anyone. Therefore, we are tempted to eat too much, cheat in our taxes, talk poorly about our boss. But the scriptures, they realign our priorities and remind us that God knows and is concerned about what we do in secret, which gives us power to defeat temptation. And think about this. If I gave you $1,000 for every verse you committed to memory, how many could you memorize by next Friday? I'm guessing probably quite a few. But Psalm 19 says that God's word is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. So as we close, we need to remember that Jesus countered Satan's temptation by showing that man lives by God more than bread, by not testing God and being ready and rested for every situation within our control, and that eternal life and power only comes from God and not from the devil or the world. 
We also see that as God's children, we are free from condemnation and completely accepted by God, that we need to listen and be led by the Spirit, and we need to meditate and memorize Scripture. Then we can have a victory over sin and the temptations of the evil one. As much as you want to beat temptation, God wants it even more. And if you follow him, you can and will have victory. Let this be an encouragement to us in a call to victory over sin and temptation in our lives in 2021. And as we'll see in the upcoming passage, we know that uh, in Psalm 34, we know that God cares for us and has his eye upon us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much this morning for my brothers and sisters. I pray that this year would be a year of defeating temptation, a year of overcoming sin in their lives, that they would be more like you this year than they were last year. And I thank you, Jesus, that you overcame all temptation and victory so that even when we fail, you empower us to change. We could not, we cannot change on our own and we need your power, Holy Spirit, to change us. So I pray that you would change us this year, this day. We want to grow. We want to be like you. We want to be, we want to be better. We want to, we want to grow. Help us to grow. We can't do it on on our own. Help us to see spiritually as you saw and to be rested when we can get rest and to slow down when we can slow down. And I pray for, especially those who are super busy and are just strapped for time that you would just find a way to meet them, even in the busyness that you'd speak to them and show yourself to them and show them that you love them and you care for them. And you are also going to give them victory. And I just ask for this in Jesus name. Amen.